3: I'm Jorge Ramos, and I welcome you to Real America Podcast. This is
2: a democracy issue.
1: Pues mis golpes, la verdad,
3: todos me gustan. A bilingual exploration on politics, culture, and social issues. Yo quedé como presidente encargado. Era vicepresidente de la República. Pero lo escogió usted. This is Real America Podcast with in-depth stories on issues affecting America and the rest of the world. I have to
2: speak
0: Spanish for one day.
4: Well, I actually bought the uh, the, the hundred lesson package.
3: Well, did you buy me a hundred Spanish lessons? Yeah. Why? Because you wanted to learn Spanish,
4: dummy. Oh, yo no sé tu nombre. Oh, todo el mundo me dice cariño. Como in in Dirty Dancing, how everybody just calls baby baby.
3: Ah, she's an actor, an activist. <laughs> And now Natalie Morales can add two-time director to the list with her latest film, Language Lessons. Natalie, thank you so much for okay. talking to us. And uh, I guess this is going to be a, a conversation both English and Spanish and, and a little bit of Spanglish, right?
4: Está bien, muy bien.
3: Me parece perfecto. So, okay. you know, I, I watched the movie. It, it is fantastic. And it seems to me that you made the movie that everybody wanted to make. Uh, but just didn't have the courage and the talent to do it.
4: Well, thank you. That's a that's a high compliment. I don't know that everybody wanted to make this exact movie, but I know that it was some... We didn't even know what it was going to end up being. We just uh, felt like we needed to do something because I think both Mark Duplass and I have to keep busy in some ways, especially creatively. And it was a time where we all... I mean, it's still a time, it's still very much the time where we all need connection and and are craving connection. And I think that was what really inspired the whole movie.
3: So um, you did it through the pandemic, correct? Well, as a matter of fact, we're still under the pandemic.
4: Yes, yes, but we definitely did it during lockdown when we weren't um, seeing anybody or leaving our houses. So we did that, uh, let's see, that was our last day of shooting, which was uh, June 28th um, of last year.
3: And, and how was the how was the process? Can you take us through the process? Did you ever see um, Adam or or Magduplas, or, Mike or <laughs> uh, were you in different cities? How did it work?
4: No, we were in the same city, but we never saw each other. We we shot everything from our own houses. So I did. Uh, We both did, but but I did my own hair and makeup and lighting and set design and costumes and everything myself because there was no one ever next to me. So we did the whole thing, each of us in our houses.
3: How do you get the idea of, of making a movie about giving Spanish lessons for 100 weeks? (laughs)
4: <laughs> um, actually, Mark Mark was the one who came up with that idea because at the beginning, of w- when everything shut down, he had heard about a school I believe in Gu- in Guatemala that um, that was having a hard time because they uh, they needed financial help, and so he decided to take some Spanish lessons. Um, and he already knew a little bit of Spanish. So it ended up being more conversational. And so a few weeks into those classes, he called me and was like, do you speak Spanish? And I was like, see. Sí. And he said, uh, I have this like idea for a movie about a Spanish teacher and, and um, her student, but I don't know what the rest of it is or what the story is. Can we write it together? Can we figure it out? So that's where it, that's where it came from. And it ended up. You know, being the perfect movie to do uh, for long distance because it was about that, you know, even though it's not about the pandemic at all, it has only to do with, uh, you know, communicating through a computer like you and I yeah. are doing right now. Uh,
3: so, so tell me, everything was done via Zoom? Was that, was that it or did you have a crew in, yeah. on, each, on each side?
4: No, no crew. I was by myself. I mean, we uh, it was shot in in our houses, but also in different locations, but never with never really with anybody else um, with some minor, minor exceptions. Um, Yeah, it was done through Zoom. We had we had to figure out how to do everything, because at that time, no one had done this before. So we didn't know how to have somebody like, you know, remotely control the lights that were that were on us or or, you know, we had like we would do Zoom and we would also record it separately on a webcam. And uh, it was all new. It was all discovery. We did the whole. Our, my whole rig was like on an, an IKEA cutting board, where I had my computer and my microphone and all my stuff. And, and it, that was how we did it. It was discovering a new way to do things.
3: Okay, so, so you, you spend—I was going to say hundreds, but probably thousands of hours in front of a camera uh, via Zoom. W- what's the most frustrating thing? I can—I can give you a list of all the frustrating things that has happened to me. <laughs> uh, because of because of the (laughs) pandemic but you, you tell me what was it for you
4: um you know the 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 constraints also can be inspiring which is like kind of what i i like about my business in general and and directing and writing is that sometimes when you have these limitations um you have to problem solve and figure out how to do it without it and and in that problem solving you discover something very human and very interesting so uh, besides the inter- lack of internet connection or bad internet connection or the sound of your computer fan getting too loud and covering your microphone or something like that, besides those things, you know, I, it is difficult to act while looking at yourself acting. Yeah. That's hard to do. Uh, uh, but but in some, in some ways, I, I think it's, you know, it's interesting that we do this now. There's this like heightened form of communication. Like right now, I, I'm being a lot clearer with my words so that you understand me clearer. I'm... I'm gesturing more with my hands so that my point comes across clearer. And it's a thing we tend to do on Zoom that is a slightly exaggerated uh, form of being so that we're understood more clearly. And we do this without even thinking about it because we adapt as humans to any new situation. And as humans, we want to be understood when we communicate. And I, I find that very interesting, all these different little adaptations that we do to life. And that is a lot of what this movie is about. And also what we assume of the other person that we're, we're seeing online only. you know We think we know their whole story. We think mm-hmm. we know what they're about. And, and that's, that's not necessarily true.
3: That, that's so interesting, the observation, because I spend years and years on, on TV, and now I realize that I... That when I'm on TV, like like talking to you right now, I move my hands much more than when I'm not on TV.
0: Tienes mucho en tus manos, pero con solo mover un dedo puedes dar marcha atrás con Pro Trailer Backup Assist disponible. Presentamos la nueva Ford F-150 2024. Ya sea que estés trabajando al máximo o divirtiéndote al máximo, esta camioneta te respalda porque está hecha para ser una parte indispensable de tu equipo. Fuerza ha sido inteligente. Solo puede ser F-150. Construida con orgullo Ford. Fuerza Ford.
1: Aloha mamá. ¿Dónde andas? (ríe) Seguro de compras. Tengo mucho que contarte. Hawái es increíble. He estado de un lado a otro con mi unidad. Todos son súper talentosos. Ya reparamos otro helicóptero Black Hawk y oficialmente formamos nuestro equipo de fútbol. Para la próxima te cuento cómo voy con el surf. Y me cuentas qué te pareció el podcast que te compartí. ok? Te quiero mucho.
2: Be all you can be. Visitando goarmy.com diagonal español. When something happens to your car, you might say, No! My car. But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, stay Farm is there.
3: Para I'm Jorge Ramos, and you are listening to the Real America podcast.
4: Y la próxima vez que vengas, quiero que me digas lo que quiere decir cliffhanger en cliffhanger.
1: español. Cliffhanger. Esa es tu tarea. El cliffhanger. Ok, tarea.
4: Nos vemos la semana que viene.
1: Sí.
3: it's a fully bilingual movie and i i saw and i heard a lot of spanish and a lot of english but i thought um you were gonna speak more spanglish and you kind of respected both languages was that the idea
4: yeah you know i for me it was it was really interesting to make i had never made a movie in spanish nor had i really ever spoken spanish in a movie and it was my first language i Mm was i was um you know i was born in miami to cuban parents and and I lived with my grandparents and they didn't speak any English and that was the first language that I learned and and I think I spent so much time uh, you know in this business kind of quieting that part of myself in order to get ahead in life and in order to work more and in order to be accepted more because that was just the way it is without even realizing I was doing that that to come back to this movie and, and have it be so intrinsically a part of me was very special and very eye-opening you know um there was i remember first starting out i i, I didn't want to appear too latina or too whatever because i thought it might cost me my job or cost me the opportunity and now i i see that completely differently um and it's it's interesting to start learning like that so to speak in spanish for mm-hmm. Basically, a whole movie, like most of the movie is in Spanish, was very, very special for me because I, I've never had a chance to do that before. And, and it taught me a lot about myself as well.
3: So, so it's interesting. So, for you to be successful, you thought that you needed to speak English without an accent.
4: Well, certainly without a Miami accent. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And 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 uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, that any person in any marginalized group or specifically any person of color or an immigrant from a different language, maybe you have experienced this, Jorge, you, you feel like you need to whitewash yourself just a little bit, just in order to be palatable for the people that are hiring you. Because while you may be very funny or very interesting to the people in the culture that you come from, those are not the people hiring you. And typically in the rooms, you know, typically that's not the person hiring you. So I had to make myself or I felt I had to make myself, um, more palatable, you know, in a sense. And, and I, and I, and, and that was, uh, that's something that I learned literally in the last year, I, I, looking back at my own life and at my career is something that I went, wow, I can't believe I've been sort of code switching myself and my language for so long, um. And, and I, I mean, it's a, it's a part of me now. I'm not speaking to you fakely. Mm-hmm. I, this is the way that I talk, but, but it's interesting to at least notice that those are the things that I, that I picked up on. You know, early on as a little kid, I realized that being a girl was, was going to be harder and being girly is, doesn't get you as far in life. So I didn't like to wear flowers and I didn't like to wear colors and I wanted to be a tomboy. And, and I, then I noticed that being too Latina wasn't going to get you too far in life. So I, Balanced it out and and I and I think it's interesting to look back and notice those things and and kind of come into my own as a person and as a director And as an artist and
3: and I wonder if all what you've done uh, really worked uh, because you're incredibly successful But you are in an industry as a filmmaker in which Latinas are underrepresented you think that things are changing
4: I think so. And I hope so. And I, and I hope to be a part of that. I am I'm, I'm finally in a position where some of the time I can hire people, you know, and I, and I, and you I am the person on the other side. Movie. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And I, and now I am the person that people are auditioning for. And so then maybe they can feel like they can be more <laughs> representative of who they are instead of trying to, 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 to be something that they think, uh, the other side wants to see, because that is the way that we get more representation all around. And, and, and movies and TV should look like the world around us, uh, and, and they don't. So the closer we get to that, I think the better it is for everybody.
3: So can um, I ask you, how do you identify yourself? The, the other day we were uh, talking about a, a poll about uh, Latinos or Hispanics or, or people who identify as Latinx. So do you feel more comfortable as an American, Cuban-American, Latina, Hispana, Latinx, how do you identify yourself?
4: I think I, I feel, I mean, for anybody else to call me any of those things is totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I I heard this term recently, which I had not heard, which is um, American-born Cuban, which is so interesting because- like as as a child of refugees and and um, exiles, I, who knows? I I think I would have been born in Cuba had they not had to flee from their country. And I'd never heard that term before. Um, I definitely consider myself to be an American for sure. Um, so maybe Cuban American is what I would call myself. But that that's also what I call my mom, who was born in Cuba. You know, so it's it's kind of different. I think that a lot of children of immigrants and refugees and exiles sort of feel in the middle of both worlds and in the middle of being very American and also not, and also feeling very not American in some ways. And so um, I guess to answer your question is, is I don't, I don't like to label myself really in any aspect, but I am proud of my culture uh, and my cultures in both ways. And I'm also proud of being a part of this uh, community that doesn't identify as just one thing.
3: Thank you for listening to The Real America Podcast. All right, let me just finish with this. I have to ask you about Cuba. You were born in Miami, uh, and, and you've been following very closely the protest uh, in Cuba, which clearly is a dictatorship. Do you feel the, uh, the responsibility to speak up and speak out for those who don't and who can't do it in Cuba?
4: Completely. I mean, I do. It's the first time in my entire life that I have felt any hope that Cuba might be free at some point. And that is wild. I mean, I grew up, my entire family are refugees. Um, My my grandfather was a political prisoner on on both sides, on the Batista side and then on the Castro side. Um, And and that's the story of so many people uh, in Miami and so many Cuban um, people in the diaspora. But even if I wasn't Cuban, I would want to, to help these people because, uh, I mean, this was, was already a law before it was a law, but the Cuban people are not allowed to criticize the government or speak for themselves online. And I think a lot of the international community has fallen for the Cuban government's propaganda about how Cuban, Cuba is this like medical paradise and tropical tourism destination and they don't see what we have seen for decades because all of the reporters that are that cover Cuba have had to be approved by the Cuban government so you don't you don't see the real thing unless you know Cubans or know people on the island and so it's our responsibility I do think to inform the international community that that they have fallen for this for this propaganda and that the people there are begging protesting risking their lives for freedom and for a chance at an actual future and they got they got a little bit into the news cycle recently, which was amazing. So I, I the news cycle moves so, so, so quickly, especially in the last five years, that I, I want to make sure that we that we keep on that and that it becomes something that's at least in the back of people's heads, so that when they talk to people about Cuba, they don't just go, "Wow, it has cool cars and cigars and stuff." Now they now know. they go, "Oh, but
0: actually."
3: They know.
4: It's not free, and maybe we shouldn't vacation there. And there are political protesters there, and Amnesty International is not allowed to go there, and neither is any human rights organization. So um, I think it's very important to to keep messaging that because the more international pressure there is on Cuba, um, the more the people have a chance of actually creating their own futures.
3: Natalie, gracias por hablar con nosotros de Cuba, de tu película, de las latinas en este país. Te lo agradezco muchísimo.
4: Thank you, Jorge. Muchas gracias. Gracias Hasta a luego.
3: ti. Y felicidades por la película. Thank you. I feel like in the movie. Look.
4: <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. It's, it's good.
3: Thank you for listening to The Real America Podcast. You can discover the best Univision podcast on the Euphoria app or on univision.com podcast. Thus ends today's episode of The Real America Podcast. As always, thanks for listening.